really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrim of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm easy to find on all your socials. You can always drop me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. You know what? I have nothing really to report on the home front this week, so I'm going to skip our current updates and get right into the news, such as it is. Um, there was there was so much great rugby on show this weekend. And by the way, one of the Aussie pods I listened to made a great point just this morning. Even if this wasn't the first round of a World Cup, if you saw that slate of international tests for this just this weekend, you'd be absolutely foaming at the mouth. So let's dive right in, shall we? He's He's People have to know. Yes, Isa, I'd say it is kind of cool news this week. So quoting here from Wales Online, Wales agree World Cup kit change in move applauded by World Rugby. That was the headline, of course. So Wales have agreed to a, world, a Rugby World Cup kit change for their game against Portugal in a move that has been applauded by World Rugby. Wales' second pool match at Rugby World Cup 2023 will be played at the Stade de Nice on Saturday, September 16th. The teams have only met once previously during the qualifying stages of the 1995 World Cup when Wales ran out 102 to 11 winners in Lisbon. Woo, not a typo. Um, a kit change by both teams will be made as part of steps taken for Rugby World Cup 2023 with a focus on inclusion, safety, and enjoyment as rugby uh, World Rugby's color blindness in rugby guidelines set to become policy from 2025. Around 1 in t uh, 12 men suffers from some form of colorblindness, with green and red providing the majority of the issues. Numbers are far lower at around 1 in 200 among females. Uh, men and females? Weird. Uh, I think they mean women. Anyway, uh, in September 2021, World Rugby published its Colorblindness and Rugby Guidelines, which were developed in collaboration with Colorblindness Awareness, CBA, a nonprofit organization that raises awareness of the needs of colorblind people in the community. Since then, World Rugby has been taking steps to implement its own guidance across its various activities and events. For Rugby World Cup 2023, World Rugby has worked closely with the participating unions and CBA to encourage certain kit combinations in an effort to avoid kit clashes, where kit colors appear too similar to colorblind people due to a lack of sufficient color contrast or designs, where possible, uh, where possible, while being mindful of manufacturing and commercial considerations. Uh, with the Wales versus Portugal Group C game, the alternate kits still pose a challenge because there is not enough difference between the colors. Organizers felt that Wales' alternate black kits would have clashed with Portugal's primary kit, dark red. In a move that has been applauded by World Rugby, I think that's the third time they said that, as a positive display of the sport's values, both teams have confirmed that they will each uh, wear their alternative kit in support of the cause. Other participating teams have also committed to show their support by wearing alternate jerseys for certain games, including Georgia, Ireland, Tonga, and South Africa. That explains it. Uh, Rugby World Cup says, quote, kit testing was undertaken alongside broadcast kit testing early in 2023, 
uh, on the Rugby World Cup 2023 primary and alternate kits of each team, plus the match officials kits to ensure maximum contrast between the kits of both teams and match officials. Ooh, not a good sentence, guys. Uh, in some instances, preferred kit combinations were changed due to perceived lack of contrast for broadcast reasons for all viewers. With player welfare in mind, kits were also considered not just from the perspective of fans watching on TV or in the stadium, but also pr from the perspective of any colorblind players and match officials, unquote. Off the pitch, steps have also been taken to ensure sufficient color differentiation in areas like ticketing, accreditation, venue, and directional signage, digital platforms, and others. World Rugby Chairman Sir, uh, Sir Bill Beaumont, who is colorblind himself on top of being undead, um, said, quote, when World Rugby first launched the colorblindness in rugby guidelines, we made a clear statement of our intention to apply the colorblind awareness guidance in our own competitions as soon as possible. As a person with CVD myself, I'm delighted that from January 2025, the guidance will become policy for World Rugby tournaments as we prepare for the pinnacle of the women's game with Rugby World Cup 2025 in England. Many stakeholders are already following suit, and our hope is that working together as a team, the rugby family will help accelerate our ambition to deliver a more inclusive game and rugby experience for all, unquote. I am obviously all for this initiative, but, you know, if it does lead to kits like the Springboks showed us this weekend, uh, we may need to look a little closer at the details, right? Uh, so moving on to a very quick thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually down in New Zealand uh, with the little-noticed round six in the NPC, you ask? No. With the incredible final matchups for this year's Farah Palmer Cup? Again, no. Uh, with Bowden Parrot, the prognosticating bird? Oh, hell to the yeah. That, that's right. The New Zealand Herald posted a video featuring Bowden Parrot, the newest member of the sports department, who they say will be making predictions throughout the entire World Cup. Obviously, to kick it all off, they had him pick a winner between Les Bleus and the All Blacks. I don't pretend to understand the science behind it. <laughs> but I do know he's a, he's a cute little birdie. Uh, so when he sunk his beak into the bowl marked New Zealand, I mean, France should just give up now, right? Like, <laughs> I admit, I am always a sucker for stupid, stupid crap like this. And if you think I'm not going to come back to this bird and his predictions every week as we roll forward, I mean, well, buckle in, my friend, because it's happening. Okay. That, of course, brings us to our reviews and over in France. We waited four long years, but it finally arrived. The Men's Rugby World Cup 2023 officially kicked off on Friday night with a mouth-watering matchup. France, the host nation, welcoming the New Zealand All Blacks to Saint-Denis. I honestly had to take a moment just to settle my nerves before this one. I cannot think of a better way to kick off this tournament and oh my word the pomp and ceremony surrounding it it was absolutely incredible uh thanks to a friend on the twitters is i got a link to a youtube channel carrying the entire lead up to the match and even though i understood like one in 20 words it was freaking awesome i was so all in the lead up it was just very very well done with an array of shots sort of put together like a you know a grid zoom call with you know official team buses under escort in this frame aerial views of the stadium in the next fans partying on their way into the stadium in the next and just on and on just very well crafted the the opening ceremony itself was also pretty great though if i'm honest it, it 
lacked uh, for me it lacked the beauty of the opening ceremonies in japan four years ago that's not even a knock like it was fantastic but i mean the one in japan like i went back and watched that thing like nine times just after it happened i'm not sure anyone will ever top that so anyway to crown it all off they had emmanuel macron the president of france saying a few words to kick things off after being handed the podium uh by a chairman of world rugby who they listed as sir bill beaumont but come on man it was clearly emperor palpatine like you're not fooling anyone guys come on eventually the match actually got started it began just as you would want both sides scoring quickly showing the skills and tactics we've been desperately dying to see mark talea opened the books with a beautiful try in the back left corner by the way i predict that on my little world cup app I, I scored so many points in this first match anyway after ramos he slotted a pen in answer it was three to five it looked like we were in for an instant classic it was edge of your seat close as they brought on a second water break just 25 minutes in and i started to think that extra factor that extreme heat might end up being a key difference maker though in whose favor i just couldn't guess as the comm said quote a lot of hands on hips out there right now unquote with the score six to eight and i paused the game just to make sure my defibrillator was all charged up and good to go side note sam kane was a last minute scratch for this game but they took this opportunity to report that his absence was precautionary not necessarily well necessary uh another early side note ethan de groot who i absolutely love he was uh, he was having a bit of a shocker. He got pinged in the scrum three times in a row. And when he then got a chance for a big carry, I, it seemed like he was trying to make up for it, I guess. He, he lost the ball in contact. Not a great first half for him. At the end of that first 40, it was a nail biter. It was nine to eight to the hosts. And I needed a water break myself. Uh, one more quick side note from the intermission. They showed us the French locker room as the players were getting ready to, you know, get back out of the pitch. And then they switched to the Kiwi lockers and nobody was there the comms kind of tried to laugh it off because they obviously weren't expecting it and they were like oh well maybe they're already back out there but they were clearly completely flummoxed i love junk like that so the second half talea he grabbed himself a brace off a pass that the entire population of france and i thought was forward but Mwanga again dragged the conversion away, seemingly intent on keeping this one as close as humanly possible. Then it was Damien Penno with a breakaway that looked like a sure try, but again, Mwanga, he came flying across the entire width of the pitch to poke it out just as he was trying to put it down, possibly the best tackle or defensive play of Mwanga's career, an absolute try saver. The game has gave his team possession once again, and this one just got better and better terrible news then for new zealand fans as will jordan was yellow carded just minutes after penno got the try that we all thought he was gonna get just you know a few minutes earlier the ab's were down a player and down on the scoreboard the crowd smelling blood after another kick from ramos france had their biggest lead of the night while new zealand then committed their 10th handling error of the contest the momentum only seemed to be going one way at that point aaron smith made way for finlay christie who made two quick mistakes right in a row and i realized i needed to be more worried about my game over stamp having enough ink on it than i did to have actually have to worry about you know the charge of my defibrillator so with less than seven minutes to play and france up 22 to 13 it was that weird feeling where like i predicted france were going to win this entire tournament i picked them to top new zealand in this match so basically <laughs> everything was going as i'd predicted but even though I thought those things, I didn't actually want any of them to happen. And it, it, 
I was just massively deflated as I firmly planted the game over stamp in the notebook for this match. Um, it felt like France might pour in two or three more scores, you know, just for good measure as well. But either way, it was two straight losses for the All Blacks. The Stade de France pulsating with pride at the result to open the, the tournament. New Zealand, of course, had never lost a pool stage match in the history of the World Cup. And then with an insult to injury try, as predicted uh, from Gemini, the 2023 Rugby World Cup was well and truly begun. Before 2019, no team that had lost in the pool stages had gone on to win the Webb Ellis Trophy, but South Africa proved it could be done in 2019. So there will be plenty more drama to unfold over the next seven to eight weeks. Final score, 27 to 13, a brilliant start for the host nation and this amazing World Cup. Next up, it was Italy taking on Namibia at the Stade Geoffrey Guichard. Uh, I was interested to see that before this match, these two teams had played each other just four times, splitting the wins evenly. Uh, however, the, the two wins for Namibia were when Italy toured their uh, back down their way in 1991. And clearly, the two programs have had slightly different trajectories since those days. Um, so Namibia, they had the purple patches, as they say, but you know, for the most part, it, it just wasn't a heck of a contest. The Azuri, they were just too much for the Namibians who are still in search of their first Rugby World Cup win. Uh, I think it's 0-23, the streak at this stage. And of course, I am so rooting for them. Excellent free jacks out there for Namibia, by the way. They mentioned Vian Conradi multiple times for his incredible play. And once LaRue Milan came on, he made a difference immediately on attack. Though, you know, it was just never in the cards for them on this day. Uh, still some prime rugby they played, I thought. They they showed they deserved to be there, especially through like, you know, 20 or 25 minutes. But in the end, it was just, you know, too tall a mountain. Uh, Semi-side note, Monty Wani had an incredible game. And the thing was, he was amazing on defense, which isn't something I, I thought he was really known for. He was ferocious, but he had the vision to be just where his team needed him to be over and over again. It was sick. Uh, by full-time, Italy would be very happy with a big win to kick things off. They came away victors 52-8. to eight. Ireland versus Romania was staged at the Stade de Bordeaux in, well, Bordeaux. I mean, Bordeaux. And I have to say, I was worried that this one was going to be a huge blowout. You know, not a fan of the blowouts. Of course, what I meant by blowout, I mean, I figured like, I don't know, I think I wrote down 42 points to six. That kind of blowout, you know, but no, no, no. It was on a whole other level. Historically, the Irish had faced Romania 10 times over the years, winning nine and drawing just the one, a 13-all affair from back in the dark days of 1980. Today would not buck that particular trend. I didn't really take many notes during this game. In fact, my notebook was pretty threadbare in general for such a big weekend, as I'm still kind of on solo dad duty. So while I did get my son to watch a lot of the action with me, there was still a lot of, you know, we're putting together this puzzle or reading this book or working on these drawings kinds of stuff happening. So um, I didn't want to be like, sorry, son, I can't answer that basic and wonderful question you have about the world because I need to write down how annoying Johnny Sexton is, you know, like it didn't feel right. In any event, Ireland needed to make, uh, needed to make mincemeat out of Romania to show that they are where we all think they are. And that's exactly what they did. They were brutal. They were clinical. They were subtle. They were well rehearsed. They were quick. They were thorough. In the end, they showed why they're one of the favorites to win this Web Alice Trophy, thrashing their shell-shocked opposition, a huge 82-8 to eight by the end, a complete masterclass from Ireland. Warning shots fired.
Australia versus Georgia was back at the Stade de France. And from what I found, the only other time these nations have actually faced off was in the last World Cup, where the Aussies won 27 to 8. The Wallabies, they came right out of the gate looking like the team Eddie Jones has been telling us we would see, which for me, I mean, it was kind of a relief. I, I think I finally put my finger on it, right? It's, it's much, much better when your heart is right than when your head is right. You know, like, like this weekend, so far, I predicted France to win, and they did, but I wanted New Zealand to win. I felt pretty sure Italy was going to beat Namibia, but I wanted Namibia to at least get close. It was obvious that Ireland were going to beat Romania, but I hoped they'd at least keep that one reasonable. That was out the window as well. With this one, I was finally rooting on both levels for the same team. Nothing against Georgia, by the way. I do hope they steal a win somewhere along the way for sure. But a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I don't think they're quite up to the perception of where people think they are right now. Like somehow, and I, I have no idea how, they're just not as good as they were like a year ago. I don't know if there's a coach thing going on, but to me, they just don't look like they're gelling right now. Anyway, Australia, on the other hand, they looked fast and loose and ready to pounce on anything and everything. Their ability to get it out wide on both sides really stretched the defense and paid huge dividends, especially with some continuing exceptional play by Mark, give me a sec, Nwanga Tinawatse, uh, Nwanga Nitawatse, yeah. Um, by the way, I've been sweating for weeks now because I knew I was going to have to mention his name. Uh, they always call him Marky Mark just to kind of get around it, and I didn't want to do that. Um, he's been front and center on the Aussie radar, and I knew I'd have to say his name into a microphone. So I did my research. I looked up how to pronounce it. Even the comms seemed confident when they would say it, but came up with sort of a different iteration each time. And I found a great interview where he specifically says, yes, I've heard six million pronunciations and for the record, and then he spelled it out phonetically. So I feel semi all right about it right now. Uh, anywho, so I haven't had time to go back and watch the highlights, but I have to assume almost the entirety of those videos will be Taniel Atupo playing scrum half, playing winger, playing who knows what. The guy was breaking free and open play and sprinting to deliver a slick offload like what was even happening. The Wallabies, they looked sharp from the word go. Georgia never found a foothold. It was a rout despite a modest score by the end. Side note of bad news, Tate. Oh, oh man, Tate McDermott. He went down with what, what they later called a... a I wish I remembered a class A or a category one or something equally ominous when it comes to head injuries. I mean, he was clean, knocked out. I'd be very worried about bringing him back anytime soon. Um, after all, it was, uh, after all was said and done, it was Australia getting their very first win under the new Eddie Jones regime. It was a, not as close as it looked 35 to 15 at full time. I can't even imagine how relieved the Aussie fans must feel the day after. So England versus Argentina was at the Stade de Marseille. Here were two teams with a great deal of history, having squared up 26 times before this weekend with the English dominating the rivalry, 19 wins to five with a pair of draws thrown in for good luck. England, based on how bad they've looked of late, were clearly, for me, the underdogs. And an early boff pen, I, I thought, presaged a good day for Los Pumas. However, England did answer in kind, but... When the news that a yellow to Tom Curry had been bumped up to first class and England would be down to 14 players for at least at least a full three quarters of the match, I felt sure it was going to be Argentina's day. But something funny happened. Not, you know, not ha ha funny, but 
like WTF funny where Argentina simply played incredibly badly. Uh, Monday morning, a couple of podcasts unrelated to one another, both said it was the worst test performance they'd ever seen. And while that seems a little over the top for me, I mean, yeah, they laid an egg big time. Really weird. Anyway, seemingly out of nowhere, pow, George Ford, a perfect strike strike of a drop goal to take the lead. It was a very cool moment, and it felt like it might have been a momentum turner. In fact, as friend of the pod, Dallin Stanford, said after 35 minutes, quote, that's once, twice, and make it three times for George Ford, unquote, as England pushed their lead to 12-3 to as we went to the break. Three drop goals in one game. I don't think I've ever seen that before. What a player, man. Argentina, though, they just couldn't get anything going. It was honestly really surprising. They'd looked so active and they'd had such a, a good game plan for the you know the past year, I would say. I have no idea what happened in this one where they, they'd get bullied by a 14-player England squad who have been the subject of, you know, let's say a great deal of well-earned derision of late. By the end, it was 27 to 10. I can't wait to hear all the chat this week about how the English are back and they're contenders and it's going to be magical. Oh my God, it's going to be so funny. Japan versus Chile was in Toulouse, and I believe this was the first time these teams had ever met, according to my half-assed research. Uh, Chile, they scored the first try of the match, meaning it was their first try in the history of the World Cup. The crowd and I were stoked. Japan, they've looked pretty bad recently, and if there was a chance for Los Condores to make a mark, it felt like this was going to be their best shot. Uh, those early signs, though, they quickly dwindled away. Um, Japan quickly opened up an unanswerable margin, looking more confident than they have since their historic romp in 2019. When it was over Chile, they had racked up their first two World Cup tries ever. The comms even mentioned no matter what happens, even after that first try, when these players, when they go home, they are going to be heroes, national heroes. And the Brave Blossoms, they must have also felt some pride and relief getting a nice opening win. It was 42-12 to 12 in Toulouse by the end. A really exciting match, despite the score difference. So South Africa versus Scotland brought us back to the Stade de Marseille. The history between these teams is very similar to that of the England versus Argentina matchup, with 28 contests starting in 1906. Wow. The Springboks, heavily to the good, though, winning 23 of those, with the Scots' last victory over the box coming in 2010. Sadly, a dear friend of mine, in all good intentions, sent me a message to commiserate about the Scots ultimately losing, so the score was unfortunately given away ahead of time. As you all know by now, if you're listeners, um, I don't watch games where I know the outcome, so I had to skip it. But the final score, I can faithfully report, was 18-3, to a disappointing day for the Scots. Side note, I've already heard all about the latest Rassie stuff, using traffic lights to signal to the players on the field and all that. I have to say, people seem so surprised about that. But when I first interviewed uh, Free Jacks head coach Scott Matthew, this was um, August of 2021, the first time I talked to him, we talked about Rassi a little bit, and he specifically told me a story about Rassi using this very system way back in 2006 when he was with the Cheetahs. So anyone who thinks uh, this is a new thing should clearly spend more time listening to some of my great interviews here. By the way, so ironic that they're called the Cheetahs, right? And then, woof, Wales versus Fiji was back at the Stade de Bordeaux. It's, it's hard to imagine a matchup more weighted with history than this one. In 2019, I was largely unaware 
of that famous test that still has Welsh fans, you know, throwing up in their own mouths. At the time, I was, you know, corresponding with a guy in Wales through the, the rugby forum. He had put aside like a very special bottle of whiskey for this game in particular. And after Fiji scored the first two tries of the day, apparently he went to town on that bottle. After Wales had won, I reached out to him to say congrats. And he was like, what? We won? Kai, shout out to you, my friend. I hope you have coped with the carnage that was this test. Oh, my word. This game, I mean, there's no way they could have planned it. But in a way, they saved the best for last. It was far and away the game of the weekend. Like, it just had everything. It had back and forth, seesaw lead changes. It had absurd acrobatic tries, eye-popping offloads. In fact, when it was over, the crowd literally just stayed in their seats to applaud. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, in the days since, I've already heard a lot of complaining about the officiating. A lot of people shouting that oh, Fiji got robbed by the ref. I, I just didn't see it like that. The big take seems to be about the yellow card against Fiji, uh, where they didn't get the same number of, of warnings as the Welsh had. But that was not an apples-to-apples apples scenario. The Fijian card was due to a collapse, uh, due to collapsing a mall within easy reach of the try line, which is always an automatic yellow. Do I think, in general, that so-called Tier 2 nations get the short end of the stick when it comes to how they're officiated? Oh my, very, very yes. But in this case, Matthew Carley, he didn't drop the ball over the try line, and he certainly didn't knock it on at the very end. That was semi. Fiji could have won this game and probably should have, but the fault lies within themselves, not in the ref's decisions. That's just my two cents, of course. So the incredible stats from what ultimately became a win for Wales. It was a mind-blowing 253-70 to 70 tackles. I mean, that looked like a typo to me. Actually, it's funny because during the game, they reported it as 238, and I wrote it down and was like, no way. I looked back later, no, 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 got updated, 253. Uh, so apparently it was true. And when this, when this encounter finished out, and I'm still sweating, by the way, it was 32 to 26 in favor of Wales. That, my friends, wrapped up an incredible first round. I mean, can you even remember a better weekend of rugby? Things get back into action for the World Cup on Thursday, where I am. Uh, but with the extra week they added this time around, there's you know far fewer sort of short rest weeks. And apart from the stupid pool draw itself, things seem pretty equitable. My friends, it is happening. Okay, switching gears and heading down to the Southern Hemisphere for the Thar Palma Cup this weekend. The FPC Grand Finals may have been a tad overshadowed by the start of the Men's World Cup, but naturally I caught as much as I could, and my friends, it was awesome. So for, for whatever reason, they had the Premiership game first, and it was a doozy. It was Canterbury at home to face Auckland. The visitors were hunting for their 16th title, though they hadn't gotten their hands on it since 2015, while the hosts, of course, were looking for an incredible sixth title in just the last seven years, so it looked like a serious heavyweight bout. Uh, there was a lot of hard-nosed defense from both teams, but let's face it, it was the offense on display, with Auckland in particular putting together some beautiful attacking patterns to build a 13-22 lead at the break. Canterbury, they were not so easily vanquished, however. A gorgeous strike off a set piece saw them get to within a converted try as we neared the final quarter of play, tying things up soon after. 
all the momentum seemed to have shifted Canterbury's way, but that was when Auckland, they found a whole new gear. They just owned the final quarter hour, pouring in two tries, including the game capper by who else than World Cup winner Ruahe DeMont, who has been spectacular all year long. That score put a cap on the year in the top division. And as the dust settled, it was 27-39 to 39 to bring Auckland yet another title. What a team and what a year. Next up was the championship final with the heretofore undefeated Manawatu Cyclones facing off against Northland, a team I really thought had overachieved big time this year. But as they say in the NFL, they don't play these games on paper. Northland began with their traditional haka, and I do love it. And as I've mentioned many times previously, I also love their dragon mascot, but somehow the combination kind of ruins both like when you're when you're trying to be taken very seriously as you lay down a challenge for a massive occasion like this one somehow having a cartoonish dragon hopping around as you do it it kind of let's say diminishes it a bit anyway early on already down five it was winniata who we've been mentioning multiple times this year making contact with another player's head a nasty shot to the jaw and as the comms finished ponderously pronouncing, well, that was what we called a nothing, she was shown a red card. <laughs> and the battle suddenly looked steeply uphill. Crystal Murray, by the way, was huge for the visitors, punishing the opposition on both sides of the ball. After a half hour, the underdogs were up 7-26. to 26. Wow. So two bang-bang tries for the home side got them back within seven as the first half came to a close. And approaching the three-quarter mark, it was 24-29. to 29, So good. I have to say, the intensity for this one somehow overshadowed that of the Premiership final we saw just before this. These two teams were just bringing a ferocity I've not seen all year long. After full time, it was the Cyclones with an attacking scrum and one final shot. But, oh my word. I got chills rewatching the highlights. Northland forced a penalty, and with a shrill blast from the official, it was the visitors celebrating their newfound promotion to the Premiership for next season. Bit of a shocker for Manawatu, who had been clear favorites, and they would be ruining the call that sent their captain off for the majority of the contest. A bitter ending to a dreamlike season. Northland holding on to win that ultimate prize, 29-32, to 32, in an incredible Conclusion to the FPC. So good. Okay, sliding laterally over to the NPC. Unsurprisingly, the only NPC I actually managed to watch this weekend was the Storm Week fixture on the Wednesday prior to the start of the World Cup, which ended up quite the bitter pill for Otago. They were up in North Harbor and looked to be in the ascendancy for the vast majority of the game, only to see things unravel just in the final 10 minutes or so. Uh, two quick side notes, uh, both about the Otago scrum. Otago, they were so dominant at the scrum that at one point, and I don't know if this is true or not, I can't swear by it, they seemed to intentionally botch a lineout because even though that handed the ball back to their hosts, they knew it would give them a scrum, and any scrum, attacking or defending, was more than likely to get them a good result. It also, second one, is uh, led to the side notes saying, well, when you look at that forward pack, well, I wouldn't want to see the grocery bill each week. I know that, which was classic. Anyway, Bryn Gatlin, who'd been out injured since week 11 of last season, was in waiting on the bench in the comms foretold, quote, 
Gatlin's ready to come in and make a real difference for North Harbor, unquote. And presto, that's exactly what happened. He came in around 55 or 60 minutes in, booted the leather off it, and completely flummoxed the visitors who suddenly found themselves behind the eight ball. Um, uh, North Harbor's go-ahead score with just a couple minutes remaining would be their first and only and final advantage of the night. Crestfallen Otago looked simply stunned as they let this one slip away 27 to 24 and then friday it was waikato versus wellington a seven try first half set the pace for a high scoring affair with wellington continuing their now 17 game winning streak dating back to a year ago 24 to 41 by the end as for the rest of the action of course it was counties monaco 39 southland 29 hawks bay 35 bay of plenty 38 uh, Auckland 36, Canterbury 29, Taranaki 18, Tasman 29, and Manawatu 29, North Harbor 48. That was all on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we just had the one match with Otago bouncing back to double up Northland 35, uh, th- sorry, 30 to 15. Counties Monaco and Canterbury are on Storm Week for this Wednesday, tomorrow, as I record this now. So that means with the majority of teams having played seven games at this point, we've got unbeaten Wellington at the top with 32 points, a full five over their second-ranked Auckland, and seven more than the surprising Tasman Mako. Uh, Canterbury and Taranaki are tied with 24. Uh, the Bay teams are knotted at 20. North Harbor are next with 17. Waikato, 14. Three teams have 13, Otago, Northland, and Counties Monaco. Manawatu are, of course, stuck on two wins and 12 points, but it's woeful Southland, winless on the year and earning just three points on the table. A terrible year for the Stags so far. music my friends you will know it is time for this week's diamond in the ruck award this week the award goes to taniela tupo mr tupo you're always a major force in the wallabies front row but this weekend you took it to a whole new level if there was something that needed doing out on the pitch you were doing it apart from the usual level of complete destruction you bring at the breakdown You were making cute little passes, offloading, making breakaway runs, even putting in a couple of kicks. Everything you did came off like magic. If Australia are to have any success at this tournament, you will clearly be the engine that moves them forward. Taniela Tupo, Tongan Thor, congratulations to you, my friend, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews. And of course, the pool stages of the Men's World Cup continue beginning on Thursday with France immediately called back into action, this time against Uruguay. I honestly have no idea what to expect from Los Terros, but I feel like even a heavily, heavily rotated French squad will have very few issues on Friday. Again, 3 p.m. my time. And by the way, it cracks me up that the French the French start games at like 9 
9.15, sometimes more like 9.30 at night. Like, I feel like that's against the law in the United States because people are just way too wasted by then. Anyway, this time, it's the All Blacks looking to bounce back after a rare two-game losing streak against a Namibian side that's going to be like, why not us? So Saturday, we'll have Samoa versus Chile. It'll be Wales versus Portugal and Ireland versus Tonga, while Sunday features the Springboks versus Romania, then a cracker, Australia versus Fiji. Oh man, I can't wait. The Wallabies played like they thought they were Fiji this weekend. Will they try to outfly them face to face? Or will Eddie just show a totally different hand? Like, I mean, Fiji, they have to be hurting at the loss of a game they 100% could have taken. They're going to be a handful for the Wallabies. And I don't care if they say he's fine. Tate better not be in the squad for this coming week. So the final match on Sunday is England versus Japan. Then during the week, there are Wednesday and Thursday fixtures. It's Italy versus Uruguay on Wednesday. Ooh, short turnaround for them. And then France versus Namibia on Thursday. I guess it's not short, technically. Wow, France are getting these games out of the way in a hurry. So sadly, the FPC has concluded for the year. But the NPC keeps on keeping on this week. That means a major Free Jacks clash with Hawks Bay versus Manawatu on Friday, and then followed by Auckland versus Waikato, then the, the battle for the north. It's North Harbour versus Northland, Otago versus Taranaki, Bay of Plenty versus Wellington, Canterbury versus Southland, and finally, it's the Tasman Mako versus Counties Monaco. So much rugby. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And are you kidding me with the game got just in this opening round? Absolutely sick. I mean, I'm, I'm beside myself in awe at what we got to witness this weekend. So much fun. I have a feeling this coming weekend will bring some serious surprises on top of all the drama we would have assumed was coming anyway. Just too good. So to all of you across the globe, Cheers, my friends. Talk to you soon. And be well.